You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. So, who has been enjoying our journey thus far in God's story? Wasn't it great to hear Laura share last week? She preached a cracking message, which is which was wonderful. And so Laura really focused in on the story of Jacob, Jacob's life, and, and took a, an in-depth look at Jacob's wrestling with God. And if you missed it, really encourage you. That's a, a must listen. You want to check that out via our podcast or, or watch it again on YouTube. And today, we're going to continue on from where Laura left off, and we're going to explore one of the key stories in Genesis. In fact, it's a story that the biblical writers actually devote a serious amount of space or time to in the entire Old Testament, and that is the story of Joseph. So let's pray as we open God's word together this morning. Father God, we thank you that your story is remarkable. We thank you, Lord, that your story is our story too in that you invite us into your story through your word, by your Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, that the story of long ago still has profound application for our lives today. And so we pray, God, today that as we, as we look at Joseph, as we explore this remarkable man, this godly man, this faithful man's life, we pray, Lord, that you would just really bring home to each of us the application that you have for each of us. God, would you move, would you speak, and would you guide us in what you have for each of us today? We thank you, Jesus, and pray that your story would shine and that your story, our stories, would, would blend in and be shaped by the wonder of your story. So we pray this in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. So what do you do when you face hardships and challenges in life? How do you respond? Cry. That is a good response. That's a valid response. What else do you do? Just cry. Yeah. Pray. I like it. We're in a church, so you've got to say that. What else do we do? Keep pushing forward. Seek counsel. Nice. Did you have something, Russ? No. That one's... (laughs) Whinge. That's right. That's a common response too. You know, sometimes when we reflect on our lot in life, maybe even as we're thinking about the, the suffering, the hardships that we're facing even right now as we sit here today, either through our own fault, because who knows, sometimes we can have things come on us through our own mistakes or our own stupidity, yeah? I'll acknowledge that. Having a sulk, yeah? Or sometimes things come about through no fault of our own as well. And sometimes when we're in that place... Maybe this is just me, but often I wonder, 
God, do you even care? Do you even care? Look at what's happening here. Do you even care? One thing we've seen thus far in God's story as we've explored through Genesis is that sin pollutes and destroys God's perfect world, doesn't it? Time and time again, we've seen how when members of God's family choose the path of sin and willingly disobey God, widespread dysfunction flourishes in his family, doesn't it? Sin takes root and really bad things happen, not just once, but over and over and over again. And God made it clear from the beginning, there are blessings to be found in trusting him and there are natural consequences that will come about when we don't, yeah? We've seen them play out over and over and over, even over the last few months as we've explored this. Think of the Tower of Babel, the story of Abraham and his family, Jacob, the list could go on and on. And what has God's consistent response been to people's rebellion through Genesis so far? What's it been? Anyone? He's faithful. Yeah. God, while being deeply hurt and offended by mankind's rebellion and evil, he chooses still to bless and not curse. That is what we've seen time and time again. God's hurt, rightly so, by mankind's choice to disobey him and go their own way, and yet he chooses to be faithful to his promises and bless and not curse. As Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says, at every turn, God responds to human evil by paradoxically steering these tragedies back to his good purposes. And you see, this theme, this theme here, is brought to the fore in Joseph's remarkable story. Joseph's little story, if you like, is pointing to a much bigger story, the story of the sovereignty of God. And today we're, we're going to take a 30,000-foot view of Joseph's life. After all, if you read it in Genesis, it spans 13 whole chapters. There's quite a lot on Joseph. And we're going to do this to remind ourselves that while we often don't know what is actually going on in our lives and we can struggle to see purpose, greater purpose in our trials or suffering, God is sovereign, God never leaves our side and he's, this is encouraging, he's always looking to turn evil back towards his good purposes. God is sovereign, he never leaves our side and he's always looking to turn evil back towards his good purposes. God is continually redeeming and he uses both evil and noble deeds for his purpose. Okay, this is a very quick rundown on Joseph. So Joseph, unlike some of the characters we've looked at so far, like Abraham and Isaac, he's an, an outsider. He's not in the direct line of the covenant promises. As um, some theologians say, they say the Messiah came through the tribe of Judah. So in that sense, Joseph is a peripheral character in the drama of redemptive history portrayed in the Bible. But 
the Bible is also interested in marginal characters, especially when they exemplify the kind of moral life for which God is looking. You know, this is a great insight into the kind of man Joseph was. Joseph really was a man of integrity, a man who led a blameless life, a man who trusted in God and his promises despite his circumstances. And if you think about it, you know, have a read through Genesis yourself this week if you haven't already, but Joseph's faith example is made all the more remarkable because of the things that he actually endured, yeah? You know, in Genesis 37, we, we are introduced to Joseph and we learn that this Joseph was the favourite child. Has anyone here got a favourite child? No, no, you're not meant... Oh, yeah, you've only got one child. Yes. Yes, you can say that. Yes. Very good. I was going to say, don't answer that one, you know? Do not answer that one. That's not the kind of question. It's the kind of question that you're best to stay quiet on. Like husbands, who knows that when your wife comes out from putting something on and she asks you for your opinion, you just nod and, and don't say much. Is that, is that the safest thing to do? No? Does my... Silence is deadly. We're damned if we do, damned if we don't. I know. No, I'm going to shut up right now because Laura will probably hear this and I'll be in big trouble. No, seriously though, in, in Genesis 37, we discover that not only did Jacob inwardly have this special affection for his son, but he made this known outwardly as well in how he treated Joseph. Genesis 37.3, it says this, um, Now Israel, who's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colours. Now, what exactly this robe looks like, no one actually really knows. Scholars suggest that the use of the Hebrew word is actually pretty ambiguous, like uh, could refer to a robe of many colours, like is often popularly thought, like the Technicolor jacket and that sort of thing. Or it could just refer to a robe with long sleeves. In the end, it doesn't actually matter what it looked like. What matters is that Joseph was noticeably treated differently than everyone else. He was the last born, but in effect, he was being treated more like the first born in the family. And naturally, for anyone who has siblings, <laughs> his brothers didn't like that. One little bit. Genesis 37.4. But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Hate's a pretty strong word, isn't it? But do you see the, the bitter fruits of jealousy and anger sort of taking root in their hearts? Sin, once again, taking its horrible tentacles right in to the hearts of God's people. And you know, then God gives Joseph a remarkable dream, which he shares with his brother, which is probably, if you think about it, something only a 17-year-old would think is a wise thing to do. Yeah? I mean, and what happens? 
because the, the dream's all about how his brothers will bow down before him and this sort of thing. Probably not the, right, the best thing to share with his brothers. And it results in further hatred from his brothers towards him. And here's their response in verse 8. His brothers said, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. You know, that you'd think that would be enough for Joseph to just get the picture, wouldn't you? You'd think that'd be enough to, come on, mate, just zip your lip, young fella. Shut it. Whether, whether he's, he's uh, as Tim, Tim Mackey s- suggests, uh, whether he's just a, a young upstart, a bit of a punk, and he's cockily telling his brothers, what's what? Hey, you guys are going to bow down to me. Huh? Or he's just innocently sharing what it was that he saw Just stop already. It's not going well for you. What happens? He has another dream and he shares it with his brothers and father too. And again, we see a similar response from the family, verse 10 to 11. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Notice that ending. His brothers were jealous, but his father didn't completely disregard what Joseph had said. He kept it in mind. And all of this hatred, all of this hatred increased in the hearts of the brothers towards Joseph and ultimately led them to hatch a plan to kill him. I mean, you have some tiffs with your family, but you don't normally go down this line, do you? You can check that out in verses 18 to 20. Fortunately, either out of the goodness of his heart or simply because he wanted to be reinstated as the firstborn, Reuben intervenes and convinces his brothers to spare his life and instead throw him into a pit. I mean, that's a real heart of compassion right there, isn't it? And then when some Ishmaelites come by, the brothers decide to sell him to these travellers But not only that, they don't just try and get rid of him, they also take the horrible choice to deceive their father and dip his rainbow-coloured or long-sleeved jacket into the blood of a goat they slaughter and then they go to their father and tell their father that his favourite son has been slaughtered by a wild animal. I mean, seriously, sin, unbelievable. Now, Joseph's father was obviously distraught and Joseph while not actually being dead he was as good as dead wasn't he I mean you know go from a place of safety and security in your family and then you're sold into slavery you may as well be dead your your life's over it's all turned upside down it's no good because he'd been taken as a slave for Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, all the way in the land of Egypt. I don't know, like seriously, if you need a story to highlight mankind's wickedness and just outright stupidity, then this one's got to take the cake, doesn't it? It really does. Yet again, we see this theme, how mankind's rebellion against God and his ways leads to brokenness and division. God's big picture story of redemption seems to be in jeopardy. Because here's the thing, like 
These 12 brothers, Joseph included, are actually members of God's rescue team, to put it that way. They are members of God's family, descendants of Abraham, the family that God has promised that he will multiply and bless in order to reach all nations, to bless all mankind. So what on earth is going on? Is everything that God has planned going to be unraveled once again because of mankind's sin? The short answer is no. As a writer explains, out of the tragedy, out of the tragedy, God weaves a new story and makes something beautiful. God's always redeeming and weaving something beautiful out of humans' sin. And that's what he's doing here. Let's just make this much clear, because this is really important when we consider Joseph. Joseph is in this situation through no fault of his own. Yeah? Joseph is in this situation, sold into the care of Potiphar, living his life as a slave through no fault of his own. Sure, it's possible that he was a little bit overzealous in how he shared the, the dreams to his brothers and his father. Maybe he was a bit of a punk kid and lorded it over them like any 17-year-old probably would, wouldn't they? I, I would have if that happened. But Joseph's not the one at fault here. Joseph's brothers are at fault. And Joseph, unfortunately, is the one who suffers the consequences of the sins of his brothers. You know, sometimes in life we can really relate to Joseph, can't we? Through no fault of our own, we find ourselves dealing with horrible situations, things that we just don't deserve. Things like terminal cancer diagnoses, marital breakdowns because of a spouse's unfaithfulness, hurtful words or treatment from someone we thought was a close friend who's treated us bad seemingly for no logical reason whatsoever. So many different things. And in these times, as we said before, sometimes our default can be to cry. Yeah? We can feel like God just doesn't care, that he doesn't see what's happening. We can feel like we're suffering and God's nowhere to be seen. But here's the beautiful thread of grace in this story of Joseph. We see that not only does God care, not only does God see and stay present with people when they continue to trust him, he also sovereignly works in the worst of situations to redeem and turn them for good. That's what we see with Joseph. While we often don't know what's going on in our lives and we can struggle to see purpose in our own suffering, God is sovereign, God never leaves our side, and he's always looking to turn evil back towards his good purposes. Friends, if you are suffering right now today, know this. God is right now, whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not, he is sovereignly working in these really difficult situations that you're going through. He is. 
You mightn't see it. You mightn't feel it. God's presence might even feel really distant from you right now. But you can be sure of this. God is actively working to redeem and turn your circumstances for his good. This is what we see over and over and over again in Joseph's story. God continues to show his faithfulness to Joseph and blesses, bless and persevere, preserves his life. God continues to show faithfulness to Joseph and blesses and preserves his life. Reading Genesis 39, 2-6. Now Joseph has been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favour in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Do you see that? God continues to be faithful towards Joseph and blesses and preserves his life, making him a successful man and causing all he has put his hand to, to succeed. You know, our choice to obey God will, one way or another, result in blessing. That's a guarantee. The blessing mightn't always be wrapped up in the kind of blessing we might be looking for, but our choice to remain faithful to God and obey him one way or another will result in blessing. And we see here the fruit in how it's manifest in Joseph's particular scenario when he chose to trust and follow him. Because despite what was happening in his life, Joseph maintained his integrity and he sought to honour God and God blessed him for having this heart towards him. We read Joseph had no concerns at all and he didn't until Potiphar's wife noticed that he was handsome in form and appearance. Did you know in the Bible, very rarely does it reference someone's physical appearance. It's just... You know, so we know when it says this that this is a key thing for us to grasp here. Like this is the the way it's been written is kind of to draw us in, a bit like we'd be drawn into a movie or something with with a with a handsome looking man or woman or something, you know? This is what they're trying to do here. Like, get this picture here. This guy is looking good. And not only is he looking good, but Potiphar's wife noticed him as well. And so she, she doesn't muck around. She just propositions him and says, lie with me. Doesn't, doesn't beat around the bush. It was, and no doubt, it was a temptation for sure, but it was not a temptation that Joseph was going to give in to. Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife was one of integrity. He refuses to engage and he continues to make choice after choice after choice that honours God, but not only honours God, actually honours his earthly master as well. 
Potiphar with every aspect of his life and resists her many advances. Long story short, Potiphar's wife finally manages to grab him, or at least his, his, his clothing. She's pretty determined to get what she wants. And Joseph slips out of her grasp, does a 360 or whatever, and he leaves his garment behind to flee to safety. Naturally, Potiphar's wife's not impressed. She gets, she's infuriated, and she cries out to the men of the house and says, this Hebrew servant came in here to laugh at me, and, and here's, here's his robe. In, in, her, in other words, this man came in to exploit me and tells the same lie to her husband later on. And here we see it again. Yet again, despite his integrity and his refusal to do anything that would dishonour his master or his earthly master, Joseph finds himself once again stripped of his standing in society and thrown into a pit of a different kind. This time, prison. Through no fault of his own, again, Potiphar's wife is totally to blame here. Joseph finds himself dealing with incredible hardships, facing a situation, enduring suffering that he didn't deserve to face, suffering through no fault of his own. And while God didn't cause his suffering, in the end, God sure redeemed and used his incredible circumstances to bring about his plans and purposes. Has anyone heard of the singer by the name of Nightbird? That's her stage name. Uh, or Jane Mazuski is her real name, so I'll just stick with Nightbird because it's easier to say. But mid-year, last year, Nightbird auditioned on a show called America's Got Talent and she became effectively famous overnight. She had who knows Simon Cowell for anyone? He's the grumpy, grumpy Englishman. Well, she had that grumpy, too cool for school, no one breaks through my, my mask and veneer. She had him in absolute tears as he listened to her sing. And, and he, he impacted her so much in that moment that not only did he sing her praises, but for those who've ever watched um, the... America's Got Talent or Australia's Got Talent or anything like that, they have this special buzzer called the Golden Buzzer. And it's a buzzer that if someone hits it, and they normally hit it and get it in nice slow-mo, so it's really dramatic, but when someone hits it, it instantly takes that person out of the group stage and straight to the finals, where they can go up against other really talented performers. So that's what happens there. He, he was so impacted, he was so touched that he just said, this is what i got to do. And he hit the buzzer and she had such an impression on him. And watching it, was it her voice that impressed him? Well, she has, she has a fantastic voice, but it wasn't that that particularly impacted him. Was it her stage presence, her ability to kind of work the stage and move and groove and really be, be in it? He was impressed, but it wasn't that either. What Simon Cowell and all the judges were particularly impressed by was her story that was woven in to her beautiful original song called It's Okay. Here's the thing. 
while Nightbird sung about everything being okay, and the chorus literally is like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Like she's singing over and over again this refrain, it's okay, it's okay. Everything was far from okay in her life and hadn't been for some time. You see, Nightbird had an ongoing battle with cancer. First, it was breast cancer, and then she went into remission, and then her breast cancer returned once again and spread into her back, her liver, her stomach, and her lungs. Doctors told her she had a 2% chance of survival. And then to top it all off, her husband of five years upped and left her, and all alone to suffer and walk that road. You might be thinking, I was certainly thinking when I heard about this, how could a young girl of 30, that's how old she was, how could a young girl of 30 possibly get before all of America watching this and sing a song called It's Okay? How can this possibly be her song considering what she's been lumped with in life? Well, it can be, and it was possible, because of where Nightbird actually had her hope. You see, she didn't hope in this life. She didn't hope in the fleeting pleasures and idols that so often we cling to so tightly and find our worth and our purpose, and we're, we're driven at work just to purchase the next idol or make the next experience happen. She didn't hope in those things. Nightbird sung, it's okay, because despite everything that she was enduring in the physical and the relational and her whole world being upside down, it was okay deep down inside her soul. It was okay deep down inside her soul because... Nightbird had her hope firmly placed in God. And she knew that God was actually, despite all the rubbish, she knew that God was actually powerfully at work in her life. Here's what she actually said in an interview with a, with a podcast called Then God Moved. And this is her kind of reflecting on her cancer diagnosis and the ongoing struggles in life. This is what she says. She says, I believe that God can heal in one instant. I also believe that no good thing does he withhold. So there was something God was growing in the field that is me. And if God had pulled up all of this hardship too soon, it would have also pulled up all these miracles he did in my spirit. Isn't that a remarkable reflection? Friends, Nightbird didn't deserve cancer. None of us deserve to face that insidious, horrible disease. God hates cancer. He hates the destruction that it causes. But Nightbird knew that God can even use the evilest of things, like cancer, to shape and grow and mature us. She knew that God could even bring good out of her cancer. She knew that God, while he didn't send the cancer to her, could redeem and use her terminal cancer to actually bring about his plans and purposes for her and also the broader world. 
And here's the thing, friends. We praise God today knowing that Nightbird is now free of pain. She's now free of pain and suffering. She's not singing to America on a stage any longer, but she is singing along with a choir of angels in heaven, singing God's praises continually day and night and day and night. And she has left a powerful legacy. Her witness, her joy in the face of suffering has confused so many people. So many people who don't know Jesus are just like, what? How can you? You're 30 years old. How? What? How can you sing that? How is that possible? How? How is that okay? But her witness and joy in the face of suffering has prompted countless people to not only marvel at that and ask the question, "What's going on there?" but to also reflect on their own mortality and think about what or who they're placing their faith in to their ultimate hope in this life. You know, just as they did for this remarkable young lady, for Nightbird, hardships, hardships have a similar transformative effect on Joseph. As Tim Mackey explains, God uses, used the hardships in Joseph's life to chip away at the rough edges, to do deep character transformation that may not have happened any other way. Friends, let's, let's personalise this for us today. Hardships can actually have a transformative effect on us too. Yeah? Hardships can have a similar transformative effect on us too. God wants to use all the things that we experience in life, the, the wonderful things, and also the most evil and horrible things we might face in this life to shape and refine us and to develop our character and our faith in Him. He does. God sovereignly, He wants to use and turn everything, even the most painful and raw things that are sitting right here in your heart of hearts right now. He wants to use even those things and he wants to turn them around for his good purposes. You know, God's plan for suffering and hardships in this life is one that really seems crazy, doesn't it? But when we understand and we know the character and person of God like Joseph did, like Joseph did. It's one that we can all embrace wholeheartedly with Holy Spirit's help. Here's, here's how Paul explains God's call to us in Romans 5, 3 to 5. Paul writes, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can rejoice in sufferings when we understand that God is a sovereign God who, as we sung this morning, is so big and so powerful and so good that he can use and redeem any situation, any situation, even the darkest, even the most depressing, even the most weighty of things that are dragging us down, he can turn that all around and use it for his good purposes. 
we can rejoice in our sufferings or as we suffer when God is our hope and when we know and enjoy his love through the power of Holy Spirit. Friends, while we don't often know what's going on in our lives and we can struggle to see purpose in suffering, we can know this. God is sovereign. He never leaves our side and he's always looking to turn evil back toward his good purposes. And Joseph's story goes on and on and on. You can read Genesis 39 to 50 for yourself this week. But I think to really summarize his life, we could say this. We could say that we see that God is, continues to be faithful to Joseph and continues to work sovereignly in Joseph's life, turning disappointments and hardships he faced for good. Not only his good, but for the good of God's plans for redemption and saving the whole world. And it's in these chapters where we see how God weaves Joseph's story into his big picture story. Remember how God promised that one day a descendant of Eve would come and crush the head of the serpent, yeah? Back in Genesis 3.15. Well, you'd think that this promise was kind of in jeopardy, wasn't it? But not only that, what we see happen is there suddenly there's a, there's a widespread famine. No one has any money. It's not a local kind of ordinary localized one. This is affecting countless regions, countless regions. And it would last not only for a little while, but for seven whole years. That's a pretty serious famine. And so naturally, Joseph's family, the family of Abraham, the family through whom this descendant of Eve would one day come, were also impacted by this famine. And they travelled to Egypt to seek out food and supplies. And we're not going to go into it today, but that leads to lots of different interactions between Joseph and his, and his brothers who initially don't realise that it's him and all this stuff happens and lots of, lots of heart work going on in Joseph, even in those moments. It's just, it's a powerful thing. Read it for yourself this week. But ultimately what it results in is God's plans, God's family being saved through the very one they'd betrayed. Yeah? Do you see, even in that, like do you see how God sovereignly worked through all these different events in Joseph's life to preserve and protect his family and to ensure that his master plan of redemption, that the means of salvation through that descendant of Eve would remain on track. Isn't that incredible how God worked that all for good? And Joseph's words in the final chapter of Genesis are really, they're perfect, they're, they're remarkable, and they speak directly to this. You know, his brothers, Israel has just passed away, he's, he's died, and his brothers start thinking, oh, okay, now Dad's not, Daddy's not around to protect us, maybe Joseph's going to going to knock us off now that his father's out of the way. So they feared for their lives. They thought that Joseph would seek revenge for how they'd treated him previously. And so they expressed this. But Joseph, hearing this, he responds in a truly remarkable way. Genesis 50, 17. It says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. See that? A little bit of fulfillment of a dream by God there. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Remarkable. God turned around what Joseph's brothers had intended for evil and he turned it for good, sovereignly ensuring that the very family that he had called out and and set apart and invested in and made promises to would continue on, that they would survive. But not only survive, and this is what we see here, not only would they survive the famine, but they would suddenly be in a place where they would actually be able to thrive. As, As his family, they would actually be able to prosper and grow and be strengthened. God's always working. God's always working, redeeming, and seeking to bless mankind despite their sin. And this small story takeaway from Joseph's life, if you like, applies more generally to a big theme that we see in God's big story. Genesis 50 and verse 20, which we just read, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, really serves as a bit of a summary of the entire message of Genesis and even the main thrust of Scripture from from Genesis all the way through Revelation as well. Despite our best efforts to stuff things up, God is always working behind the scenes to bless and redeem mankind. That's the theme we see here. Despite our best efforts, because who knows, sometimes we try pretty hard to go our own way, God is always working behind the scenes to bless and redeem mankind. Always, he doesn't stop. God's plans will always be realized. No matter what, God will continue to work in and turn the most evil of situations and circumstances around for good, for his plans and purposes, and ultimately so that he will be glorified and we will glorify in him. You know, this is what the writer of Genesis wants us to understand, how God works in and redeems and restores in a broken and sin-ravaged world. Sometimes in this world we suffer through fault of our own. We do or say stupid, foolish things that really hurt people we love and brokenness enters our lives and relationships and if we do some honest heart evaluation, we realise too we've only got ourselves to blame. And sometimes, sometimes in this world, as we see from Joseph's example, the most beautiful and faithful people suffer through no fault of their own, but simply as a result of other people's sinful, selfish choices or as a result of sicknesses that we unfortunately endure in this broken and sin-ravaged world. Yeah? 
But here's what we can be sure of as we live in this uncertain world. And this is something that God wants us to to not only know here, but actually know deep within our hearts. While we often don't know what's going on, while we often don't know what's going on in our lives, we struggle to see purpose in suffering. God is sovereign. He never leaves our side. And he is always looking to turn evil back toward his good purposes. Always. That's just the kind of God our God is. God is our Redeemer and Jesus can be our constant companion as we go through life. He can be our closest friend. Now I want to ask us today whether we're here and we know God personally or maybe we don't just yet. Will you today place your faith in Jesus, the God who cares? Will you trust that he loves you passionately and desires to bring life and blessing and hope to you even as you endure the darkest things that you're facing and going through even right now in life? This is the God that Joseph trusted in and this is the very same God that we can place our faith in today too. If we could have the welcome team, we're going to finish with communion this morning. That'd be wonderful. You know, as we think of Joseph's life, there are so many parallels with Jesus, aren't there? Jesus was betrayed by family. He's betrayed by his disciples. He's betrayed by and handed over to be crucified. Just like, just like Joseph was betrayed and handed over and sold into slavery. There's a bit of a, a parallel there. Like Joseph, Jesus endured what he didn't deserve. He didn't deserve to suffer and die. He didn't deserve to take the weight of the entire world of sin and brokenness and evil and all these horrible things on his own back. And yet he did. And sometimes we can think about these kind of things and we can miss the, I guess, the, the big picture thing. If we want to come and grab our um, elements, let's hand them out actually. Can you carry them around this time? Let's, let's do that. Thanks, guys. And the parallel for me that I want just to, to sit with today, to reflect on, is that what man intended for evil, God intended for good. Man thought that when Jesus was hung over, uh, handed over, when he was stripped and beaten and flogged and then hung on the cross and died, they thought that they had achieved the end goal. They thought that this Jesus, he's done. We've won. No more Jesus. No more people making us feel really guilty. He's gone. He's done. And yet, God sovereignly 
allowed those events to happen and then redeemed those events to turn them around for good. Jesus, he didn't stay dead. He rose again to life, defeating the power of sin and the power and death itself and rising again to new life. And when he did that, he made the way through his sacrifice for our sins, for us to have our sins dead with him on the cross and left there as well and be raised to new life in his righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's, I think, a beautiful parallel and a beautiful big story picture to look forward to when we look at something like Joseph's life and recognise that God turned that around for good and God very much turned the horrible events around his son's death around for all people's good, for the, sin, for, for the whole world, not just a select few, but for anyone who would place their faith in his son. So when we've got our elements, let's just pause and reflect on that. What, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. Let's just reflect on that and then I'll lead us in sharing the elements together. Thank you, God.